0: From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Angus Thompson, it's Monday, January 16. Right now, tennis is losing many of its biggest names. Last year, Roger Federer and Serena Williams retired and Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic are in the twilight of their careers. But there's no obvious answer as to who will take their place and in the meantime, younger generations are tuning out. Today, columnist for the City Morning Herald, Malcolm Knox, joins me to discuss whether tennis has reached its breaking point, and if a new documentary series could help save it. Malcolm, I'm hoping we can start by talking a little bit about the golden era that tennis is coming out of right now, and how the sport is grappling with the loss of some of its biggest names. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: I think tennis has had waves of golden eras. Um, Personalities mean a lot in tennis. Uh, You you spend so long focused on this one person alone on the court. There needs to be something in that personality to really draw the viewer and keep them watching and care. Uh, Certainly when I was young, growing up, watching the Borg-McEnroe era was just fabulous seeing those two um, slug it out, especially in Wimbledon finals. So, for the 94th Wimbledon men's singles final, here goes McEnroe. The advent of Roger Federer um, was just extraordinary because he was such a popular um, player, as well as being the best for so long. Uh, He was beloved. He was beloved across the world, um, men and women, old and young. He He was an appealing personality. He was aesthetically beautiful.
0: Oh, that is naughty, but nice.
1: You know, you had this extraordinary occurrence of, in men's tennis, probably the three best players of all time, all kind of at the peak of their career, Together, um, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. There's a new man at the head of men's Tennis, Rafael ball, Nadal. When they write the story of the great <laughs> tennis, <laughs> tennis <laughs> matches <laughs> ever played, this one has got to be right up the front of the book. <laughs> Novak Djokovic is <laughs> the champion in Melbourne <laughs> for the third 30- time. Women's tennis, likewise, Serena Williams. Um, fell just short of, of Margaret Court's total of uh, Grand Slam wins, but um, most um, I think mo- most people would agree that that Serena has had no match on the tennis court.
0: And Serena smashes Stevie's record. It's number twenty-three.
1: So now we're we're in the wake of that wave. Tennis is probably. Entered a phase where um, uh, the the passion for those players isn't as automatic um, as it was when when you know the the great trio of men and Serena Williams were at their their peak.
0: Mm, absolutely, and it's at this moment that Netflix has made a documentary called Breakpoint, which is essentially looking to answer this question of who is going to be the next big thing. Malcolm, you've watched the doco, can you quickly run us through what it's all about?
1: Yeah, they set it up uh, from the premise that you describe, which is, okay, who's who's knocking at the door now in, in both men's and women's tennis? And so they've selected a number of uh, women's and men's players who are the kind of uh, next cabs off the rank potentially. Um, but this this creates a bit of a um, a problem for the show because they're hoping among those that they've selected to follow will be um, the 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 next champions, um, and uh, you know the people who, if you really want to feel that you're in the middle of the tennis world, surely you, you'd want to be in the Djokovic um, uh, changing room. You'd want to be in the Nadal camp. So, Breakpoint is playing around this this central absence that they have
0: yeah and one of those players the series chooses to focus on is our own nick kyrgios why do you think they've chosen him
1: essentially they certainly in episode one most of their focus is on kyrgios and uh it's it's a tough one for them to to open with um you can see why they've done it because he's a controversial figure in the sport. Um, he he's a bit of a headliner. He'll attract eyeballs for Netflix in episode one. Um, there's a lot a lot being pinned on him as a, as a personality as much as a tennis player. And if that, you know, they've, they've, they've put a lot of eggs in that one basket and it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty wobbly old basket.
0: Why do you think that is, Malcolm?
1: You've got to remember that curios and this Curios mania is very much an Australian phenomenon. Um, he's not, you know, he's not that central to tennis outside of Australia and Netflix have made this show for an international audience and... A lot of their work goes into defining Kyrgios and um, uh, making him look like the new disruptive force, uh, disruptive in a good way, um, for tennis. Uh, I think there's a misconception that tennis, the tennis audience is made up of old fuddy-duddies who don't like the way Kyrgios carries on versus young people who, you know, love someone who breaks his rackets and shouts at people. Um uh, because tennis, you know, tennis has always had people like that. Tennis has a probably a, a forty-year history of of periodic um, uh, disruptors in that sense, going back to probably t- Jimmy Connors um, in the seventies was the first, and and John McEnroe took it to to an infamous next level. Yeah,
0: and you mentioned that this series is the search for the next big thing, but Curios, does it seem like he is ready to ascend the throne as tennis's next big?
1: So, you know, Kyrgios, like the others, um, to to some degree, is waiting for the Djokovic era to end. Um, The Nadal era is probably closer to its end. Um, But by that time, Kyrgios might be past his prime. And we've already seen someone like Carlos Alcaraz winning the US Open last year, um, who's now the world number one. He won't be playing in the Australian Open through injury. He's he's definitely the heir apparent, and he's nine years younger than Kyrios.
0: Yeah, okay. And if we can just go back quickly to the episodes that focus on the Australian Open. So, obviously, that was had quite a bit of drama surrounding that particular tournament. There was the whole Djokovic saga. There was Ash Barty winning her first Australian Open. There was Rafa Nadal winning his 21st. Does the series touch on those things at all?
1: <laughs> no, you know, um, Ashbardi's win was such a great uh, uh, moment for Australian tennis fans and Australian sports fans. The Nadal-Medvedev men's final was really one of the best ever Australian Open finals. Neither of those is shown I don't even know if they're mentioned. They might be mentioned in a line or two in in commentary, but but there's no there's no footage of those you know those great finals, and Djokovic the the whole saga is treated just glancingly, and um, it's uh, you know it's given about a minute at the start of the second episode, and it's portrayed as if uh, Djokovic was this um, unfortunate. Uh, political martyr where he was uh, victimised by the Australian government, um, and that's all there is. <laughs> we we think of it as one of the major dramas of that fortnight, but um, it's, uh, it's dealt with both glancingly and insufficiently and with a clear slant um, in Djokovic's favour in the documentary.
0: Mm. Do you think that's to the show's detriment, that there's all this drama happening and that the series sort of skirts around the edges yeah it
1: does feel that way particularly with that because it was um it was a really interesting um uh episode of you know the overlap of uh government policy different government policies the COVID drama Djokovic's stance on vaccination, which later that year um, had him banned from entering the US to play the US Open, you would think that was a major, a major theme of the year. But because they don't have access to Djokovic, I'm sure he was invited, but he said, no, thanks. Um, uh, You know, again, you feel as if the the Netflix series is playing around
0: in the margins. Mm. So, the series was released on Friday in time for the Australian Open, which begins today. Do you think that breakpoint will grab audiences enough to make them switch on the real tournament and vice versa
1: um, it'll it'll definitely play a role in elevating some curiosity. Uh, I don't think it'll do a great deal, but remember, Drive to Survive, the Formula One Fly on the Wall series, took took a couple of seasons before it really, um, uh, you know, gripped the imagination and and had this tremendously. Um, uh, you know, galvanising effect on on drawing fans uh, into or back into Formula One.
0: And of course, in the middle of all this, the Australian Open is about to get underway. Who are you looking forward to watching over the next couple of weeks?
1: Uh, from a personal point of view, I would say um, I... I am more interested in watching players like uh, Maria Sakkari from Greece, Ons Jubeur from um, uh, Tunisia, uh, Ila Tomljanovic from Australia. I am more interested in watching them as a result of uh, watching breakpoint. The female draw is really wide open. Uh, Inge Swiatek of uh, Poland, who's um, been the best player in the world for probably a year now since Barty's re- retirement. She's the, she's the strong favourite, but um, Jessica Pagula of the USA um, is, a, is a good chance. Um, I'd love to see, after watching break, Breakpoint, I'd love to see Maria Sakari or Onjabur, who's, who's world number two, um, break through. And as for the the men's draw, uh, um, Djokovic is uh, almost an unbackable favourite after uh, the withdrawal of Carlos Alcaraz. Um, You would be silly to tip anyone against Djokovic. Nadal is playing. He's had a rough start to his Australian season, losing a few matches in the United Cup. Um, and then, and then you've got all those uh, would-be players like Kaspar uh Stefano Sitsipas, uh Felix Auger-Aliassime. Um, Nick Kyrgios is down there, ranked uh, number uh, twenty-two in the world at the moment. Um, yeah. It's hard to see him winning because the Australian Open is so demanding on fitness over the two weeks. Is he going to be fit enough? Yeah, look, it's it's Djokovic and the rest. I think all those names we're throwing up. Uh, the, uh, you know, potential runners-up behind this amazing
0: player. And just finally, Malcolm, one thing that we've talked about again and again today is just the lack of an obvious successor to the champions who have dominated the game for most of this century. Do you think that this kind of simultaneous emergence and dominance of players like Roger Federer, Serena Williams, Djokovic was just a fluke? Or has something changed in the way we interact with our sports stars?
1: Uh, that's a really good question that, that goes beyond tennis, I think. You you see it in many different sports that um, there's, there's a real um, fetish for nostalgia uh, at the moment um, across sport. And um, I think it probably reflects um, it reflects a lot of things about about uh, generational change in using media. Uh, in uh, do people do people want to sit down and watch something uh, and have their whole heart in it for? four, five, six hours, um, uh, the ability of people to concentrate uh, on something has probably been shaken. You know, there's some evidence that it's been shaken during the, the pandemic era. Um, it's, it's a really good question that goes beyond tennis and into something about changes in our psychology and um, our way to really engage with one event for, for several hours at a time.
0: Well, Malcolm, thanks for coming on Please Explain and talking us through Breakpoint and some of the tennis that is coming up as well. Thanks a lot, Angus. Today's episode of Please Explain was hosted and produced by me, Angus Thompson. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Angus Thompson. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.